Last week we finished up the Ten Laws of Boundaries. This week I was thinking we were going right into applying them to our families and friends, but I realized I missed a chapter. I was reading ahead. And we're actually going to talk about common myths. And the reason they put this where it's at is as we understand the laws, then we start to, get, to maybe get skeptical because we question, can I apply this law? And if I apply this law, how's it going to affect the people that I'm applying to? I don't know. It's kind of that thing of don't upset the apple cart. <laughs> but if I don't apply the law, things are not going to change. And then the question becomes, am I, in a, am I being obedient to what God is showing me? Or am I just wanting to keep things the way they are for my own selfish reasons? Because where there's no discomfort, where there's no pain, there's no growth, really, when you think about it. Most of the, most of the major growth in my life was when I came to points of just major pain, things going on. Not that it was physical pain, it was emotional pain, but it was the Lord showing me, you need to change some direction here, and you need to allow me to help you through this. And I think he allows, when you look at what we've talked about, the law, laws God has placed in, in, put in place, the good and the evil, and these are the laws of boundaries. When we don't follow those, and we get off onto our selfish side, that pain sometimes worse than physical pain because we find ourselves trapped and damaged and people hurt and damaged and we're trying to recover from it. The only person you can change is yourself and in those kind of situations, God wants you to feel a little bit of discomfort so that you know this needs to change. And that's going to be one of our points in here. I'll, I'll just wait until we get to it. That emotions are meant to be signals to us we need to look at the situation. That's what they're meant to be. Not to hang on to, not to stay in, not to allow to live inside of us. We need to let go of them and work through it. God put the emotion there, the pain there, the discomfort, because he wants us to realize if we don't feel it, are we going to change anything? Most likely not. We're creatures of habit. We take the least restricted path, and that's the one I've been taking. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. So as we move into this lesson, common boundary myths, let's start off by defining a myth. A myth can be defined as a fiction that looks like a truth. Now, I know I didn't have that in there, but I added this because I think we need to think about that. A myth appears to be a truth when, in fact, it is not. It is a fiction, or it's somewhat of a twisted truth. Myths can come from a variety of sources. They can come from our family background. They might actually come from the church you grew up in. Maybe some theological foundation that you had developed in all the years that you've been reading the Bible and, and listening to preachers. Or it just may flat out be that I read it and I misinterpreted it. I misunderstood it. So myths can come from not having all the facts and it's just something that I've always believed. <coughs> Excuse me. Myth number one. Many feel that if I set boundaries... I'm being selfish. And the answer there is appropriate boundaries actually increase our ability to care for others. So the myth is that if I set the boundaries, I'm being selfish. But in actuality, setting boundaries, you're not being selfish. You're setting yourself up to be used by God, by God in other people's lives. If I don't have those boundaries, then I... As we heard in the very first chapter, the woman became overwhelmed. Everybody wanted a piece of her, and she couldn't even get anything done. And then when she was done, 
How did she feel? She was just like, I have no time or energy for myself. She felt defeated. So we need to realize that the appropriate boundaries actually increase our ability. It keeps our life structured so that we can care for others as well as ourselves. John 15 tells us, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our, our trademark as believers should be that people know we're believers because of our love. They should know that we are believers because of our love. People confuse that with, though, I always have to say yes. And that's not what it's saying. We need to allow people to see Christ's love is in us. Is Christ's love boundaryless? No, it's, it has boundaries. He's not going to tolerate sin. He's not going to tolerate people who take his name in, in, in vain. So we need to have boundaries so that when people see Christ through us, they're actually seeing his personality in us. Let's take a look at the two definitions of one being selfishness and the other one being stewardship. Selfishness has to do with a fixation on our own wishes and desires to the exclusion of our responsibility to love people. Think about that a little bit. Selfishness has to do with a fixation, a focus on my stuff. I will do this for you as long as in this I'm seeing where I'm getting something out of it. Does that sound like love? Maybe a little bit of the world's love. I only need you as long as you have something to offer me. It's kind of underneath that. But let's look at what stewardship is. Stewardship has to do with realizing that our lives are a gift from God for his service. I think that's probably the one thing that believers forget the easiest. They forget their life is a is a is something that God wants to use. They are to be stewards of their time, their money, their love, people they're with, giving. We forget that we're a steward. God has given you what you have, and he's saying, use it for me. So when you look at the two, selfishness tends to look at me. It looks internal. Stewardship or love tends to look externally, but is also done a check inside to make sure I'm doing it correctly. I'm doing it for the right reason. Saying no to people and activities that are hurtful to us demonstrates we are protecting God's investment. We sometimes forget that. Having standards and having structures in our life is a way of showing God, I'm here for you to use. I don't want to be taken advantage of by the world and I don't want to be misused. But maybe part of that loving will be that somebody will misuse you. Misuse your love. That could be one of the things. But if God's telling you to do it and you've checked that before you've given, and when I say check that, you've prayed about it and the Lord says, I want you to do this. If they turn it and use it for their own selfish gain, it'll be theirs to deal with, not yours. God is more interested in meeting our needs than he is in granting our wishes. As you were reading through this chapter, they brought this out. Sometimes we get confused. When we pray or when we want to do something, we're acting more on that it's our desire, our wish. But we haven't really checked with God to say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? What governs your life? When you get up in the morning, do you think about only your needs? Or do you take time to say, okay, Lord, I've given you my life and I know you want to use me. How are you going to use me today? That should be a check and balance system that we do every morning. 
It is crucial to understand that meeting our needs is basically our job. It's basically our job. When God shows you something in your life, he wants you to act on it, and he wants you to take care of yourself. Too many of the, well, look at our world today, our society. We have a lot of people who think that they should be able to live on the system and that everybody should take care of them. I see some of those people. Some people really need the system. They need the welfare system to help them get through. But there are those, then, who take something that's good and they use it for themselves when they rightfully would be able to take care of themselves if they would just develop those skills. I see it all the time in the field that I work in. And it's hard because part of you wants to get angry and say, Lord, this isn't right, You know, kind of like Peter did. You know, when they were coming to take him away, he wanted to fight him, and God said, your ways are not my ways. There's always a purpose in God working through your life. Matthew 7, 7 tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. And if you go on to the next verse, it talks about if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you're going to find. And then it goes on to say, if you knock, that door will be opened unto you. But it's the process of talking to God about what he wants to do in your life. So if I set boundaries, I'm being selfish is flat out a myth. We could have called this Mythbusters. <laughs> Mythbusters, that's our lesson today. <laughs> All right, myth number two, boundaries are a sign of disobedience. Boundaries are a sign of disobedience. Many Christians remain trapped in endless activities of no genuine spiritual or emotional value because of this myth. What do I mean by that? They take on responsibilities in the church or the community, but underneath, they really don't want to be doing it. So are they actually receiving spiritual fulfillment? In most cases, no. In fact, those are the individuals you start to hear talk in resentful statements. Oh, I gotta be at church tomorrow. Band has to practice. Uh, and they're always grumpy in the morning. No, <laughs> Lori choked. <laughs> but if I'm doing that, if if I'm if I'm doing activities for the wrong reason, and I keep on a, a, a volunteering for activities, but underneath, I really don't want to do it. I don't have time to do it the way it should be done. But I do it because somebody asked me. you got to check your balance on that. What's my motive here? Why am I doing this? Am I doing it for their approval, or am I doing it because the Lord has opened the door and says, I'd like you to do this? Okay? The opposite of this myth is true. A lack of boundaries is often a sign of disobedience. A lack of boundaries is actually a sign of disobedience. Not having appropriate boundaries. God is more concerned about our heart than he is about our outward compliance. He is more concerned about the reason that you are giving. What is the emotionality that you're collecting up inside of you as a result of this opportunity? If it's resentment, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You know, sometimes I, I have to check my own attitude, though. God wants me to do it, and I don't want to do it. <laughs> I mean, that is the possibility as well. But usually, it's more often that I do things because 
Nobody else will do it, so I'm going to do it, and I'm doing it with the wrong attitude. Maybe God does want you to do it because he's placed that in your mind, but you better check your attitude or you're not going to get the spiritual fulfillment. It's coming back to what we talked about in the laws of boundaries. I need to really look at my motivation. I need to evaluate why I do the things I do because if I don't, I'm not going to be happy. I'm doing them for the wrong reasons. Hosea 6, 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God wants to know that in your heart you're doing it out of a merciful spirit. You feel a burden for them. That you have a love for the situation. That you don't mind your, your time being used to help. He wants the obedience but he doesn't want resentment. He doesn't want a forced attitude. When we say yes to God or anybody else, when we mean no, we are acting out of compliance and not out of a sincere heart of truth. And we've talked a lot about compliance early on. We are acting out of a heart of compliance, not sincere truth. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart. Now notice the very first thing in this verse that he's telling us. Do a check. Do a gut check. It's time for the offering. What is the Lord speaking to you to give? Or they have a need. What is the Lord speaking to you about give? He's saying, check your heart first. Because that's where you communicate back and forth. Your heart and your mind with God. He wants you to have a heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He is honored and blessed more that you gave it because you wanted to than he is because that's part of our culture. Time for the offering. Everybody give your tithe. There used to be messages on your 10%. You need to give your tithe. He says don't limit it. Give what's based in your heart. It might be more. Maybe you're not in a situation where you can give that much. God knows that, and he will speak to you about what you should give. If we give reluctantly or out of compulsion, both of those are out of fear. If we give reluctantly or out of compulsion, both of those are out of fear. First John 4.18 tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We've talked about the giving, of reluctantly giving and out of compulsion. Both of those underneath is out of fear. It's not out of love. There is no fear in perfect love. There is no fear in Christ if we're doing it as he shows us that we need to do. God has no interest in our obeying out of fear because fear has to do with punishment, not love. God has no interest in our obeying out of fear because fear has to deal with punishment, not love. I can remember a day because I grew up in a culture where they really pushed your, how much you gave in your tithe. And I can remember a day some older folks saying to me, I would really be afraid if you're not giving the Lord what's due him. I'm like, well, that's really going to motivate me in love. <laughs> it made me feel guilt and I felt manipulated. So I had to work through that. And, and the portion of Scripture is, is really good. It's telling us to give out of our heart, 
and to pray about it, not to give out a compulsion just because there's a plate in front of you. Not just because somebody has said there's a need you need to give. No, you pray about it and you say, okay, the Lord's leading me to give here. It comes back to my motives. Why am I doing this? It comes back to something even more true, and that is, what is my relationship with God? What is my relationship with Christ? Because if I walk through life and I'm not ever communicating with Him about anything that's happening, is it a relationship? Is that the kind of friends that we want around us who don't think about us when we're down and we're hurting? I know I wouldn't want somebody like that. I want somebody who's going to think about me. I want somebody who's going to talk to me. That's a friend. Not somebody who's just there when it's convenient. Myth number three. If I begin setting boundaries, I will be hurt by others. Some are afraid of setting boundaries for fear of the consequences. Some are afraid of setting boundaries for fear of the consequences. My experience here is that generally this is rooted deeply in family of origins. What do I mean by that? I, I think I shared with you before, I can remember when we just didn't feel like going to church Sunday night. And we would say, oh, we're not going to go tonight. There's no use tonight, so we're just going to stay home. And my mother would say things like, well, if the Lord comes back and sees you sitting there, what do you think he's going to say to you? And we're like, all right, I'll get ready. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's that fear of the consequences that we got up and went to church, not because the Lord was telling us to go to church. <laughs> she had a way of keeping us on our toes. <laughs> and I don't know that she was... Um, I don't know. I'm not the judge of that. But I think she really wanted us to think about why we were deciding. So I can't say that that was definitely wrong or not wrong. But I do think she wanted us to stop and realize, why are you choosing this? Why are you deciding not to do what you know is right? The Scripture is very clear. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is sin. We can't manipulate people into swallowing our boundaries by sugarcoating them. You know, the, one of the stories in the first chapter, and we all kind of related to it, was the one where the parents said their adult child was coming home and they were just broke. They couldn't take care of his habit anymore. He said, our son has a problem. He said, your son doesn't have a problem. You have the problem. And they looked at him. What do you mean I have the problem? Well, he's living off of anything and everything you'll give him. Why are you doing that? He's 33 years old. He should be out in life fending for himself. Have you really raised him up? You have a boundary problem. That applies in this situation. Unfortunately, in codependency and dependency, the dependent person learns how to use other people so that they can continue with whatever lifestyle they're in. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, whether it's off spending money, gambling, sexual immorality, whatever it is, they've learned how to use the system and people to do this. Matthew 19.22 tells us, When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is talking about the rich young ruler who came to Christ and said that he's keeping all the commandments, he's kept all the laws. He said, what else can I do to fill, I can't remember the rest of the term, but he wanted to know, is there anything else he needed to do? And Christ, knowing that he had all this wealth, knew that was his stumbling block. He said, give all that you have to the poor. Come and follow me. 
The young man walked away depressed. Why? Because his motive wasn't where he was speaking. He was talking as though he was giving and he had done all the studying and that he was helping all these people. But when God, when Christ actually pointed out, you have all this wealth. Look at these people. Look at the people that are dying of starvation, hurting. You have all that wealth and you're asking me, what can, more can I do to be a follower? Sell what you have. And he walked away. It doesn't say whether he ever did or not. The point was being made, though, that some people are going to have to make a choice. Some people don't realize that it stems from the relationship with him with giving. Boundaries are a litmus test for the quality of your relationships. When you think about this relationship that Christ was establishing with this rich young ruler, or that he was trying to establish with Christ, often that's going to happen to us. Somebody's going to present as a friend, and somebody's going to present as somebody who wants to be there for you. But the litmus test is this. Where are they when you need them? Where are they in relationship to God? Are they a believer? Are they not? Boundaries help us see who people really are. Remember we talked about boundaries are both invisible and visible. The way we interact with each other, we're displaying what our boundaries are. We're not all perfect. We're all growing. We're learning that boundaries need to be adjusted because that happens over a course of time. So no one's really perfect. But as we walk through life, people should be able to tell we're a believer, that we love Christ. Not because we're Bible thumping them, but because of our love. Setting boundaries has to do with telling the truth. Setting boundaries has to do with telling the truth. I can remember when I was first learning about how I needed to share my faith with somebody. We would get off onto the topic of, you know, what are your beliefs about God? And we would get to the point where we'd start to talk about Christ. And I remember having a hard time wanting to tell them I'm a believer or wanting to tell them how much I love Christ. Setting boundaries has to do with telling the truth. If I'm not going to tell them about my relationship with Christ, the chances are that they're probably going to use foul language around me. The chances are they're going to try to take advantage of me. What I realized when I started working at my current job was I would not be a part of the dirty jokes. I would not be part of the foul language or the sitting around harassing people. I'd get up and leave, and they realized that right away. And later on, they all started commenting. We know how you. We know who you are. We we understand. We don't. We know that you don't use foul language and that you don't do this. I didn't say a word. My life said it. But if they wanted to talk, then I would talk about why. And actually, the thing that brought this totally to the fruition was when we did fuel aid, and a lot of my co-managers had to come and volunteer as part of the process in taking care of the cars. And when they heard us singing the band singing, they were like, you really believe what you sing, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. And the band does too. We, we do it as service. We love, we love the Lord. And he gives us that desire to do that. Your boundaries will speak volumes over what you say. How you live, interact, and walk with people will speak volumes a boundaryless spouse who begins setting limits will initially cause pain in their marriage. Pain must be necessary to help their spouse see their own need to set limits. 
Often when I'm working in, in with couples, I'll say to them, the fighting that's going on here is a tug of war. Somebody needs to let go of the rope. You just need to let go. There's no war unless somebody's pulling back. There's no tug of war. Somebody needs to let go of the rope and decide, I'm changing. I, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to be in this pain. I don't want to be in this anger. I don't want to be in, in this up and down turmoil. I want it to be different. And my goal is to point them to Christ. It'll be different if you realize how Christ walked in and out. He dealt with more animosity than we ever did. And he showed us how to love. We need to learn to love that way. Ultimately, my relationship with Christ stands above anything with my wife. I can't love her the way he wants me to love her if I don't have a relationship with him and vice versa. That's the way it works. Don't make the mistake of changing too much too fast or you will isolate yourself. It is a process. He gives an illustration in the lesson about the woman who came in and she was really frustrated with her husband and he started to talk about boundaries with her. Well, she went home and just started setting all these boundaries. Next thing she realizes, he won't even talk to me. <laughs> Don't change too much too fast. Change what the Lord shows you are the most important things to change. Myth number four. If I begin setting boundaries, I will hurt others. If I begin setting boundaries, I will hurt others. So I shouldn't set any, right? No, it's a myth. Boundaries are a defensive tool, not an offensive tool. Appropriate boundaries don't control, attack, or hurt anyone else. They're about you. Some people say, well, I want to make sure that this person over here knows that what they're doing is wrong. And I'm like, well, that's not the purpose of boundaries. You set the example, they'll know whether it, they're doing right and wrong. Boundaries protect, as we've said before, the treasures in your backyard by keeping danger out. Boundaries protect the treasures, the stewardship that God has given you what he has entitled you to or placed within the realm of your, of your responsibilities. He wants you to protect it, keep the danger out. Saying no to adults who are responsible for getting their own needs met may cause discomfort, but it does not cause injury. That's an important thing that we need to realize. When I said boundaries, and I think it was the woman who was talking about her mother and her situation, her relationship with her mother, that if she says no, she says, I'm going to get the silent treatment for two years. If I say no, I have to go. What this is saying is that when you change your boundaries and you're honest and you tell the truth, that person may have to go through some discomfort themselves to realize, Brad's changed. He's not going to let me talk to him this way. I kind of did that when I shared with you my testimony with my dad. When I went back after we had the, we resolved things and, and I said I was sorry and went through the process of making sure my life was clean before God. When I would go back, there was a tendency, and I don't think he would meant it maliciously. It was just his nature. That's the way he was. His boundaries are different. He was a little bit more of an aggressive, manipulating type uh, boundary individual. He just did what he felt had, and he might have been right, but the way he did it, usually people got hurt. So when I would walk back in the house and I would say, Dad, 
I want to get your opinion on something because I'm, this is what's going on with my car. His first thing would be to start attacking. Well, I told you, you shouldn't have bought that car. Blah, 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 blah. We go down this long run. I said, Dad, I just want some advice because I know you have experience in years and years of knowing how to fix cars. I don't want to fight with you. I set a boundary, and it took him back. But from that point on, it was a lot less that he was going to do that because I would stop and say, I'm not here to fight. I know how you feel. I'm just here to get some input. I would, you, you've got all these years of experience of working on vehicles. I just would like you to help me out in this situation to understand this. And if it's my fault, it's my fault. I'll learn from it. Sometimes setting a boundary takes the other person back, and they don't know how to react. But that's not the purpose of setting the boundary. It's not to make, hurt them or to actually make them angry. It's meant to tell them, I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. This speak, principle speaks to those who attempt to control and manipulate others as well as to the le legitimate needs of the individual. The example I just gave you was an example. My father, by, by nature, had a tendency to want to control the conversation, and he was right. But when I would set the boundary saying, Dad, I'm not here to fight, I would bring up what the legitimate need is. You have that same type of responsibility in your relationship. It's not about being right, and it's not about winning. It's about saying, okay, I'm not going to fight, but here are the legitimate things that we do need to talk about. We need to work through this, you and I, especially if it's family or if it's, a, if it's marriage, parent-child. Parent-child can be almost as volatile sometimes as a marriage. Having more than one supportive person in our lives allows our friends to be human. Thus, the church acts as a place of healing and growth. The point he was trying to make here is to expect one person to fulfill all your needs is wrong. Remember we talked about that? Somebody, we learned about that in Search for Significance as well. If, I, if everything I say and do has to do with one person, for instance, let's use joy. If everything is about joy... And I, you know, I'm always having to be with her, and she can't go anywhere unless I'm with her. That's not a healthy relationship. Sometimes that happens in parent-child relationships. It'll happen in husband-spouse. Sometimes it's friends. You may have a friend that just is always in your space, wanting to know what's going on and be a part of your life. But the problem is you're not allowed to have any other friends. That's not a healthy relationship. And that's what this is talking about. There are, every one of us have legitimate needs, but we should never be manipulated and taken advantage of and forced into a situation. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 tells us, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This was Paul telling the church, you have a responsibility to each other. And that responsibility stems from your relationship with Christ. And your interactions with them need to be in love, not out of any kind of manipulation or control. If you read the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, to the Ephesians, you'll know that he was constantly talking about, to them about not fighting, about some of them not taking advantage of their 
freedom, their liberality of their salvation to go back into some of their sin. He kept telling them, you need to realize, and to put it in the book's terms, the boundaries you have established with God. Don't take advantage of this liberality to go off and do a little sin and come back and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. You know, is that true repentance? If you're doing it just to, get, to have the clean slate again, God, you don't think God's going to see underneath that? <laughs> he is going to see underneath that. If I set boundaries, I will hurt others. Now we're going to talk about boundaries mean that I am angry. Some people think if I set boundaries, I'm being a meanie. If I have to say no, that's not fair. And I see this more often than not. Some of the best examples are in parent and child. You know, it goes back to that very first time. Can I have candy? Can I have candy? I don't know if anybody listens to FLN, but I like it when that one comedian talks. He talked about when his granddaughter came home and she'd say, Papa, I want candy. And he'd say, No, you can't have candy, not until after you eat. She said, Papa, I want candy. And he said, no, I already explained to you, you can't have candy. He says, Papa, I love you. <laughs> she was learning real young that saying I love you would manipulate him. And, of course, he said, what did I do? I said, Papa loves candy too. <laughs> he said, of course, I had to deal with her mother later. But that real humorous early scenario sets the stage for later on if it's parent-child. Because each time they come, if they know how to smooth talk, and the parent gives it to them, and then later on they have to deal with the consequences. Sometimes that actually comes out of teenagers wanting to be out late. You know, the parent knows the chances of them getting in trouble is if the later they're out, right? We all know that. I think the teens know that, but they think, I won't get in trouble. Yes, you will. <laughs> no, I won't. Come on, Dad. Times have changed. Have we heard that one before, Caleb? <laughs> times have changed. You've got to change with the times. <laughs> you need to have boundaries, healthy boundaries, and they're not to make people angry. This myth is a misunderstanding of emotions in general, anger specifically. Emotions signal to us that action is warranted. This is what I was talking about early on when we started the lesson. Emotions are meant to be sensors that tell us when we really enjoy something, that tell us when we're really hurting, that make us angry when we know somebody's being hurt or I'm getting hurt. Emotions are meant to be sensors, just like a fire alarm. When it senses, senses the smoke in the house and it goes off, now if that thing stays on the whole time, how long are you going to stay in that house if it can't get it turned off? It'll drive you nuts. But how often do we hold on to anger that way or fear? And then we come to the end of ourselves and say, I am so unhappy. I am so frustrated with life because I'm holding the anger within my life, within my heart, within my soul. It's never meant to be that. It's meant to be a sensor to say there's a problem here. You need to work on it, but not to hold on to it forever. When people begin telling the truth, setting limits, and taking responsibilities for their actions, often a dark cloud follows them around for a while. Others are faced with adjusting to their change. Anytime you're in close relationships and you start to change, 
And that changes out of a relationship with Christ. You will expect and you should expect that people may not like your change. But keep in mind, boundaries are what? A defensive tool, not an offensive tool. I'm not, I should not be doing it just to make them angry. I'm doing it because the Lord is showing me I need to change who I am. I need to change my boundaries and protect myself. There's going to be a dark cloud, especially in the group of people in that close proximity that see you change. Because the ones who are getting some kind of need met from that, when you change it and that need's not met the same way it was, it's uncomfortable. Why is he doing that? Why, why isn't he going to go with us? What? You know, it, it forces them to readjust their boundaries with your boundaries. So expect some of that. Sometimes anger signals us to confront a threat, such as Jesus did in the temple. An appropriate use of anger would be what he did when he realized that they were, they were blaspheming his temple. He said, this temple is a house of prayer, not not for you to sell all your goods and make money on and make it a business. He was angry. He drove those people from the temple. He did something. Did he hurt them? There's no indication that he killed them. It just he said he drove them from the temple. He wanted to make a statement. This is a house of prayer, not a house of selling goods or business or selfish gain. That would be a use of a healthy anger. Healthy anger provides a sense of power to solve problems appropriately. Healthy anger does. Unhealthy angry anger lives in our heart and interferes with problem solving until it is brought up in relationship and confessed. Unhealthy anger lives in our heart, and this is what I was saying earlier. Angers are, anger is a, one of the emotions that's meant to be a sensor to tell us there's something wrong and I need to look at it to figure out what God is telling me about it. Just as having a lot of elation over the birth of a child. I'm sure Marilyn's been going through a lot of elation, a lot of sensing, like, this is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. i got two grandsons. They're healthy. That's a great positive. Yeah, but what if somebody kidnapped one of those kids? And God forbid that ever happens. <laughs> then I'd have to deal with, where is he? I'm going to kill the guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We have emotions that can kind of come and go. They're going to react to whatever we're confronted with. That's probably not a good example. Sorry. <laughs> but I would be mad. <laughs> you have a hard time straightening me out if they took one of my grandkids. Oh, that'd be hard. The more biblical our boundaries are, the less anger we experience. Think about that for a minute. The more biblical our boundaries are, the less anger we experience. If you prevent boundary violations in the first place, you don't need anger. If I were to say, what's the incentive of having healthy boundaries, I would say this right here. If I work on my relationship with God, and in connection with my relationship with my wife, and if we establish boundaries of do's and don'ts to help protect our kids, and as our children are raised, and we encourage them to have healthy boundaries and move on in life and become independent, that's the drive behind it. That's the drive behind it. Having a biblical perspective on boundaries, which really comes back into just what we always talk about. What's your relationship with Christ like? Who's motivating you to make the choices you're making? 
Myth number six. When others set boundaries, it require it injures me. I'm sorry. It injures me. Having inappropriate boundaries can set us up. Boundaries set on us can injure us, especially in early childhood. In this day and age, we live in a in a reckless world. Um, I think I've shared with you about the study I did when I was in graduate school on the effects of single parent on children. There's just so much damage that can happen when there's only one person that's actually overseeing the kids. And a lot of that had to do with military men who were overseas for long periods of time. The results of the study said it's difficult because when one person is over those children and they get sick, if they don't have somebody supportive to help them, their kids are going to suffer to a certain degree. If I can't get out of bed and feed my kids and I don't have somebody to help me do that, they're going to go through a little bit of neglect there and it's going to affect them. The other part of it's true too. If there's a marriage where there's a lot of conflict, we need to look at what's the effect that has on our kids. Having inappropriate boundaries set on us can injure us, especially in childhood. Childhood emotional and psychological needs are the responsibility of parents. We're supposed to be the adults. They're developing theirs. How we interact with them will determine how well they grow. Projection is when we project our injuries onto others and avoid setting limits for fear of hurting them. Projection is a, is a psychology term of I'm putting my emotionality on you and saying that you're going to act this way because that's the way I would act. The problem is, is that some people become over-identified with certain individuals so they start interfering with that person's life because of those boundaries. You need to deal with what's in your boundaries, not others' boundaries. When we have a person we can't take no from, we have handed over control of our lives to them, also known as emotional blackmail. If I can't say no to somebody, I'm allowing them to emotionally blackmail me. If I can't establish good boundaries with one particular person, I really need to look at why that is. Because technically that's also exalting itself against Christ in your relationship. Some become so accustomed to others taking care of them that their well-being is someone else's problem. We talked a little bit about this with, with addictions. People who are uh, not in recovery yet have a tendency to expect everybody else to bail them out. Expect everybody else to bail them out. So myth number seven is boundaries cause feelings of guilt. Many solve this problem by avoiding boundary setting with those to whom they feel obligated. I'm just not going to set boundaries. They can just come in and go as they want. Yes, it's become somewhat of an interrupted relationship, but that is one of the things that happened when you don't have boundaries. Some never leave home and become independent because they have been made to feel obligated for something they have received. I see that a lot with with parent, child, kids going off to college. You know, I've had a lot of college students would say to me, my mother really is giving me grief. I'll say, about what? Because I'm here and she can't see me every day. I'll say, well, what's, what's the problem with that? Well, she always, well, I said, what's she saying? She said, well, she always says, I have bathed you. I have wiped your bottom. I have taken care of you, fed you three meals a day, and this is how I get treated? 
Oh, wait a minute. I see some smiles out there. Somebody else might have used that, huh? <laughs> All right. Some never leave home, as I said, and become independent. God's gift of salvation has no strings attached to it, however. It is a gift of love. It was given out of love. God knows that our gratitude will motivate us to love others as he loved us. You can apply this as well in your life as a parent. If you're pointing your, people, your children to Christ, if your whole point is that my relationship is established based on my relationship with Christ to other people, when it's time for those kids to go, you don't hold them back. You know the next step is they need to go. They need to develop their own boundaries. And by that time, hopefully you've helped them put those boundaries in place. Even in your relationships as believers, when you lead somebody to Christ and you're helping them to grow, there comes a point where you have to let them do it. There's got to be that freedom as already uh, given in the example of God giving his son because he knows it will motivate us to serve him. Colossians 2.7 says, Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanks, thankfulness. And the verse before that was talking about Paul's feelings towards Christ and how that he gave his life. He set the example. How can we be anything different? He gave his life for us. The last one is just one point, and that is boundaries are permanent, and I'm afraid of burning my bridges. One of the things that you need to realize after you've set boundaries and you're growing, it's important for you to understand that your no is always subject to you. If you feel your boundaries are such that now you can take a stand with this individual, then you can change the boundary of keeping them out of your backyard and allow them to start coming in, but keeping time frames on your boundaries. Your boundaries can be adjusted as you grow. Changing, renegotiating boundaries has many biblical precedents. For example, God chose not to destroy Nineveh because they repented. John, Mark, was not allowed to go on any, any of the missionary trips with, with Paul because Paul thought he was immature. But later in, the, in, the, uh, in Galatians, he said, send John, Mark. Why? Because things had changed. There was a relationship and he had matured. So hopefully this gives you a little bit of an understanding of some of the things as we've talked about the laws of boundaries. Maybe this is helping you to realize that some of your fears might not be as real as you think they are. There is a process you go through, and there's always the fears of not wanting to change for fear of hurting someone. But pray about it. Really make sure that you're doing it with the right motive, and that's out of a relationship with Christ and out of a relationship of love.